Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Siri. Before we get started, I want to begin with the way we always begin, saying that I love you, I appreciate you, I'm glad you're tuning in. Uh, this podcast would literally not be anything except for me talking into a microphone all by myself if it wasn't for the listeners. I'd love it if you could help me out and share this with your circle of influence. Just copy the link, paste it into your favorite social media, and say, hey, this dude has some brilliant insights. I suggest you listen in. That way everybody can uh, hopefully learn a new word here and there, if not understand the world a little bit better. Last week we talked about some of the phrases used in kind of everyday life. Not really everyday, we don't say them every single day, so that phrase doesn't really pertain here. Maybe every other day life. Anyway, these phrases are a little misleading, ridiculous, or just downright stupid. Some are well-intentioned, but many of them are dumb and should just be stricken from our our vocabularies or our phrasabularies. I wonder if there's a word that describes common phrases that we use often. You know, similar to like how a vocabulary is a set of words we choose from, a phrasabulary might be a set of phrases we get to choose from. Hit me up in the comments and let me know if you know a good vocabulary word that adequately fulfills those requirements. This week I wanted to talk about running a business as a left of normal. I'm sure I've covered some of this in previous episodes, uh, but it's been a while and this episode's going to look a little behind the scenes stuff that can cause significant frustration for a lot of business owners, left of, normies, left of normals and normies alike. First, I have a brief history of how I became a business owner. I've mentioned quite a few times that jobs totally suck. They especially suck as a left of normal, primarily because workplaces aren't well adapted for neurodivergency. Most bosses and business owners don't fully understand what it means to be neurospicy and aren't exactly accommodating when it comes to those who are on the spectrum or even have a different neurodivergency. These folks could be amazing at their jobs. They know their shit in and out. But when the rules and guidelines force them into inefficiency and confusion, they end up being reprimanded and disciplined instead of coached. My experience is quite similar to many other left of normals that I have read about. Uh, I haven't really sat down and had in-depth interviews with any of them. But when it comes uh, when it comes to jobs, I find that it's rather in line with the folks on the spectrum. The application and interview process is excruciating. And while not intentionally designed to be anti-autism, they are actually anti-autism. For the jobs I've had over the years, interviews had almost no bearing on what the actual job would end up being. And ultimately, it's they're really just a test of how neurotypical you can be. So after years of bumbling through a handful of jobs, ones that I could do quite well if people would just let me do the job instead of trying to conform me into something that I am not, 
I ended up starting my own business and accidentally finding something that was a better fit. So now, instead of waking every day and forcing myself into a little neurotypical box and putting on a show, because that's what the boss wants, I can largely do my own thing. Now, of course, you've seen some of the memes that float around out there. They say stuff like, I'm a business owner and I get to choose my own hours, any 80 hours a week that I want. Or, I gave up the 40-hour work week to have more freedom in my life doing an 80-hour work week. Yes, starting a business is tough, and it does take a lot of planning and a lot of extra work. But if you do it correctly, those 80-hour work weeks don't have to actually be 80-hour work weeks, and they won't last forever. You work your ass off for a year, maybe two, maybe three, and then you have kind of smooth-ish sailing pretty much the rest of your life. Anyway, I started my own gig as a way to primarily spend my days raising my son, and I worked on the side. I fell into the idea of designing my work around my life instead of designing my life around my work. It's kind of something that I'm passionate about, and I believe everyone who is unhappy in their job or in life in general should just take a good hard look to see if they've designed life around work rather than the other way around. In other words, is work the priority and life happens, is whatever happens to be left over? Or does life come first and work is more like a hobby that lets you enjoy life even more? Again, hit me up in those comments if you want to learn more about how to do that, uh, because that's not actually the point of this cast. The point of this cast is to shed light on a handful of issues I have encountered that are somewhat unique to the left of normal mind. Now I'm just going to work my way through the ones that are top of mind. If you are left of normal and you have some experience with this, leave me a comment and we'll see if anything else comes to light. So we're going to start things off with a little bit of a thing called marketing. Any business no matter how amazing, has to market themselves. I have dabbled in this quite a bit and discovered I don't like marketing. A-B testing just kind of makes me sick. All those dumb terms, the data, all that stuff that just does not provide me any joy is stuff that does not provide me any joy. It's a bit ironic since a lot of the work I do as a copywriter is part of the entire marketing process. But that said, marketing is a tough spot for a lot of small business owners because there are a re- there a ridiculous amount of bad marketing companies out there. They'll take your money, they run you through their pre-cut templates, and then they said, well, we did what we know works, or you didn't see a good return on your investment. And you owe a bunch of money, and, you, and then you're just out the money, rather than what marketing really should be, is an investment. It becomes an expense rather than, let's say, I pay a thousand bucks a month for marketing, that should bring in two or three thousand dollars in revenue. So you know, you pay a thousand and you get three thousand back. That means you're up two thousand. That way, you know it works, and then you can scale that up. You know, pay a million and get three million back. 
everyone's happy. Marketing actually works when it works. But unfortunately, there's a ton of marketing companies out there that just suck at their jobs. They know a little bit and they cost money rather than make money. Anyway, this is where the logical left of normal brain might get in my way sometimes. Without real clear data on how much better or how many more sales I would make by paying someone to help with marketing, I end up having to do it all myself, which doesn't give me that data that I need to know if paying somebody to help with marketing would actually work. Kind of a catch-22 there, where I got a, or maybe a chicken and the egg situation is more accurate. Anyway, I got to pay the money in order to see if the money actually works and all that. So word of mouth tends to be where I kind of excel with this, but now I get myself into the conundrum that I'm forced to into a lot of social obligations in order to get my name out there. And that kind of leads us into sales. Similar to marketing is sales work. It's, uh, they're slightly different terms, so uh, if you're confused on that, Google them. But I'm fully convinced that most salespeople have literally no awareness of how other people see them. They just like power right through acting as though they have the best and most amazing thing for sale in the history of everything. And they are just relentless until they get your money. And then it leads into that whole used car salesman persona. They say whatever is necessary in order to make that sale, whether or not it's good for you or not. Now, obviously, my logical brain knows this isn't true for all salespeople, but it certainly seems to think that way when I talk to someone that's uh, in primarily a salesy type role. But one of the best things that I've ever done is actually I sat down and I read a handful of sales books. They weren't necessarily so I could become a better salesman, but so I could recognize sales tactics to see if people are disingenuous or not. As I left of normal, I tend to find it a little harder to read people. I will often take things at face value because why would someone lie to me if there's nothing to gain from it? So if I'm out there trying to peddle my wares and they straight up lie and say, you know, now's not a good time. And so I say, okay, well, how about I contact you in a month? They're like, sure, that's cool. And then they're surprised when I contact them in a month. Instead, they could have just said, yo, that's not for me, but I appreciate the offer. I would just, I don't know, put them on the dead file list and not follow up and waste both our times in another month. So I'm fairly certain some of this stems from the really shitty sales training that most salespeople go through, and they always tell you, hang on for three. Uh, What that means is don't back down until they tell you no three times. So people, tired of the relentless pressure of a salesperson after they have already told them no, they end up just lying to that person to get them to go away, at least temporarily. Instead, they could just say no, and then the person would follow up and they'd have to say no, no. So sometimes, you know, if you're being sold to and you don't want to, just say no, no, no three times in a row and hey, they've hit their hanging for no. 
But anyway, salespeople see no as not an indication the person isn't interested. They see it as an indication that, hey, I should just try harder. My approach to sales is this. If I have something you need, let's make it happen. If we talk about it and you don't actually need it, then why are we having this conversation? You have my information. I have your information. If the need arises, we can revisit. As they left a normal... I despise the modern sales climate. It's fraught with lies, misleadings, and a screw-over-the-customer-to-line-your-own-pockets type mindset. For myself, uh, the only way I'll ever try to sell you something is if I know it's in your best interest. Let's move on to messaging and email politeness. Let's call it that. I tend to be to the point. If I have something to say or request, I say or make the request. Sometimes people see this as rude because they expect a lot of fluff around messages. You can kind of reverse that, uh, rewind just a little bit. See the marketing sales bit I just mentioned? All that fluff that means nothing to get your money. Anyway, when someone does just tell it how it is, it's often seen as inconsiderate and rude. Now, I do have some friends and acquaintances that find it refreshing, and they're like, ah, Scott, I love how you don't sugarcoat things. And I just left left scratching my head wondering, what the heck would they they expect me to sugarcoat it for? I wanted to make a point or state the obvious, and there's no reason to sugarcoat this. Anyway, when it comes to communication, emails and messages are generally much more efficient than phone calls, especially nowadays because you navigate that phone tree and 47 minutes later you finally get to the person you want to talk to anyway emails messages they can also lose emotion and become misinterpreted and then i find myself relying heavily on stupid idioms and extra words and stupid little emoji here and there and then i go i end up going to the extreme other end of being over polite overly polite because I don't want to piss people off and burn bridges that could set back my business. Which still ends up happening. For whatever reason, people don't like what I have to say, despite 90% of the time I'm bending over backward to be overly polite and accommodating. And then I'm left having to do more of the marketing junk because, for whatever reason, they got mad at me. I've had them threaten to leave me bad reviews because they broke the contract. Just a quick little side story here, tangent, if you will. I had one client that uh, it's very specifically stated there's a X number, X dollar uh, penalty if you break the contract without a 30-day notice. They gave me a two-and-a-half-day notice, and then they were mad that I said, hey, it would probably just be your best interest to let's extend this out for a month. And they're like, well, where can I go to leave you a review that you're all about the money instead of taking care of your customers? And so I just canceled their contract and never talked to them again. Anyway, if a business is a shitty business, I will call them out on their shittiness because I think people need to know that. Planning and goal setting is a big part of running a business. Uh, without these things, you're pretty much just going to bumble along and never actually get anywhere. Now, this is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. The last few things we've talked about, I was I kind of struggle with. Um, 
not the opposite end of the autism spectrum, obviously, but the areas where I excel or decel at. I'm pretty sure decel is the opposite of excel. It is now, anyway. Planning and goal setting are, for many left of normals, easy to do. Much of this stems from uh, comorbidity with executive dysfunction. Uh, That executive dysfunction is the inability to actually follow through with what you're intending to do. So you know what needs to be done, but you just kind of stall out. You don't know how to really get started with it. I've been able to power through a lot of that because I just, it has to get done and it's very uncomfortable, but you know, it's got to get done. Let's get it done. Boom, done, move on. There are times when I am absolutely overwhelmed with what needs to be done and all the unknowns that surround the execution of plans. And so goal setting and planning, they tend to not come to fruition because I've gotten it all lined up and now I don't know what to do. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute because planning and goal setting are actually quite the strength of a lot of left of normal business owners. I can sit down, create plans and systems and guidelines and map things out and create content all day long and well into the night. I map them out. I show show exactly what needs to be done. I create the goals that are not only achievable, but also quite lofty. And if I'm not careful, I can actually tend to take this too far and just spend all of my time planning and goal setting and then... As a one-man show, nothing ever happens because it's just too much fun to get into every little minute detail of everything rather than move on to the execution of the project. Interestingly enough, I know many a pe- many people who are not left to normals that are they have the opposite problem. They excel at doing and they decel at planning and systematizing. They, where I want to map everything out and have it all in order, they're like, yeah, let's do this next Tuesday. I'm like, I'm not ready. It won't be ready by Tuesday. Come on. Now, if there's only a fine balance, a way to team up with them so that everyone could work their strengths, that would be great. We'll move on to content creation and execution. Uh... Very similar to what I just talked about, planning and goal setting. Uh, I make for my own business, I have to create the content. But then there's also this execution stage that is difficult. I've told the story before how I developed an online course. Uh, This course would help guide people away from the crappiness that they hate, that nine to five slog, that working for somebody else, they just do not desire to be there, they're in the rat race, they're not happy with life. And then they could capitalize on something that they love to do that makes them more money and gives them more flexibility and the freedom to do whatever they want. Similar to kind of how I did it, but without, you know, intentionally doing it without accidentally falling into it. I called this program From No to Grow. Go from no idea how to be your own boss to growing that idea. Spent a bunch of time creating all this content, planned it all out, then spent a ton of time struggling to implement it and get people on board. And I couldn't even get people to finish the first three lessons that were 100% absolutely free. 
I didn't even get the opportunity to move into the sales part of it because they never even finished the free stuff. And somewhere along lines, and I don't know what I don't know, so I stalled out on the execution of the program. Part of it was I had no idea how or what would be effective without spending a ton of money on trial and error marketing. Uh, Part of it was also that I just wanted to get like one or two paying clients before I started spending the money on advertisements and marketing. And another part of it was there's just such a terrible and small response, I couldn't even begin to get an idea of what I needed to change in order to execute more effectively. So in the end, I just scrapped it all. Maybe someday I'll reopen it. Uh, Maybe someday it'll be successful. But for now, it's just relegated into the archives because execution is so much more difficult for the left of normal than design and creation. I'm going to wrap things up here with leadership and followership as a left of normal. I have studied leadership, not intensively and not really extensively, but I've studied it enough to know that I think most of it is hooey. Lots and lots of fluff, at least in the studying part of it. Good actual leadership, people that can lead a group, it's a very good skill to have. It's difficult, in my opinion, but uh, it really does not have a lot of bearing on the books and courses that I have taken that talk about it. What I have noticed is that most leadership books focus on more or less one thing, being very gregarious and extroverted. Be a people person, and they all fall in love with you, and they follow you into the pits of hell. Or, I don't know, wherever you want to lead them. Be someone of, in my opinion, sound mind, and people look at you like you're a freak and not to be trusted. There are a handful of books out there that I've dabbled with and some online information that I've read about on why introverts make great leaders. In reality, I don't see it. The effective leaders I do see are the ones that get on stage, they rile a crowd up, so they're so excited, and they go out there, and they do better, and they make a bunch of sales, and the company explodes because the leadership guy smiles a lot and knows how to ramp up a crowd. Whereas people like me, the left of normals, were overlooked and ignored and distrusted uh, because... Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm quiet, and I don't voice strong opinions. I'm scared of conflict conflict because people are mean. And in, in a world where I already have to work hard to figure out what's even going on, pissing people off makes it so I have to work even harder to figure out what's going on. So it's a lot easier for people to follow that gregarious leader, even if he or she is absolutely obnoxious and annoying, and even when they have terrible ideas and poor implementation. I've had several jobs where I've approached leaders, aka the boss man or woman, and in my mind, I politely showed them a more efficient or better way to get things done. But that's not how they do things, and I was shooed out the door and told to stay in my lane. So I stayed in my lane, and I actually left their highway altogether and created my own road. 
now the lane that I'm in is the lane where I make the calls. I don't have to have to motivate anyone. I don't have to rile up a team. I don't have to fake being an extroverted leader that's good at smiling but shitty at almost everything else. But I also have need help in areas where I do stall out or simply just don't understand. Namely, those marketing and sales things that the highly that involve highly interpersonal connections. And that leads me to this final wrap-up section and how you can help your entrepreneur, small business, or professionally inclined friends. And it's all about just supporting them and understanding what they do. Then when you encounter someone that could use their product or service, you say, hey, I know someone you should talk to that will make all your wildest dreams come true. And then you send them to your small business type friend. Everyone wins. It's easy. Uh, The small business doesn't struggle quite as much as they have in the past. For now, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right. And if it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, please like, comment, subscribe, join the Facebook community, and feel free to ask any questions you have over there. Remember that supporting your small business friend is literally free to give them a shout out, and many of us need every little boost that we can. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, whether they are left, normies, or right.